Hebrews 13. And the sermon today is on practicing hospitality. Hebrews 13. Verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Desiring to act honorably in all things, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may restore to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Lord, just thank you for your word. I pray that it would um, cut cut into our souls and and sink in deep. Pray, Pray that your arrows for our good would sink into our hearts and convict us of sin, encourage us in righteousness, and lead us to holiness. And I just pray that the sermon would, would not be without fruit, but that um, I don't preach as one who beats against the air, but one who's preaching the word of God that always reaches the mark, always hits the target, and will bear fruit. So I pray for practical fruit in all, in all of our lives. Um, I pray for a transformation of our hearts and minds through the preaching of the word and the work of the word. As it ricochets inside of our our hearts and souls and minds, um, I pray that it would... That it would uh, Purge us of sin, purge us of, of dross and filth, and cleanse us and, and lead us to higher levels of holiness. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So today, this is not related to any previous sermons. I'm not going to even try to make that connection. Um, 
I will be preaching on, the next sermon I will be preaching on will be on the question of can God save those, save those that are unable to understand the word apart from the word. So I preached on um, the, those infants of believing children that die in infancy last Sunday. And we went over the uh, canons of Dort and the answer in scripture and hopefully it was an encouragement to parents who have lost children that, um, that we can have confidence as believers that those children who have died in infancy are with the Lord. And I made that case hopefully from scripture. Um, but I will be preaching on, because we talked about the way the word that the, the spirit is in scripture, the same word for spirit is the word of breath and wind. And we've talked about how the spirit of God, the, the word of God is theonustos, is, is God breathed. So God breathed his spirit, the spirit of God breathed into the writers of the scriptures. The, the, the writings of scripture that we'll be covering today are not opinion of human beings. They're not the, writer, the writings of individuals, but they are the word of God set forward by anointed individuals who gave us not their words, but God's words. So Theonustos, God breathed scriptures, and how God breathed into his word, and that through the, the, the preaching of the word comes faith, it's saving faith, um, and the hearing of the word comes faith, and that that word that, also, that brings spiritual life to those who are dead in sin and trespasses also then feeds in an ongoing way and gives ongoing breath to it, those that are saved. So we're so dependent on the spiritual nourishment, the feeding on Christ that comes through the commandments of Christ, the word of God, and the scriptures. So I will be covering the difficult question of how does that work in situations where it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but where those who um, either die at a point where they are unable to hear the word or uh, for the rest of their life because of uh, mental issues, handicaps, whatever, cannot understand the word, can God save such people? Can God save people even, I'll touch on the question of can God save people in distant tribes and villages and places where the word of God is not present? Um, so I'm going to cover that coming up. But today, because I was gone last week, because I realized I wasn't ready for giving that sermon, and it's a very important sermon and one I want to take very carefully, so I wanted another week of preparation for that sermon this is a sermon I've been wanting to give for some time, and it's been actually a number of years. Uh, Sean shared years ago a sermon on hospitality, which was very impactful to me and uh, my understanding of hospitality years ago. But it's been a number of years. I don't know that I've preached about hospitality anytime recently. I'm sure we've touched on it. So I want to just give you guys this biblical but topical sermon on hospitality. And now this sermon is the type of sermon that will, I guarantee it, hopefully, Lord willing, step on every one of our toes. I, I put it together to step on my own toes, um, in case you're wondering. And I am far from uh, what I want to be and what we want to be in this area. So this is an encouragement, hopefully, to all of us to, to see this crucial, central, biblical command of hospitality. To see how important it is. This is one of the main ways that you want to talk about missions and charity and expanding God's kingdom and, and how do we address some of the issues that are the broken, sin-drenched society we live in, 
um, and the impact of sin all around us, how do we reach out to a, a dead and dying society? How do we strengthen the body of Christ and encourage the body of Christ as well? And I would submit to you that one of the main ways that God has called us to is through hospitality, through fellowship, through uh, breaking bread together. So this will be an encouragement, an exhortation to hospitality. Um, and in the process, for myself, for you, this is also this topic and practicing hospitality is a form of heart surgery. It will work on our hearts. And like any spiritual discipline, this is a spiritual discipline. This is something that we, whether we feel like it sometimes or not, we should practice. And I'm going to encourage you that we are called to put our hearts into it. But the reality is, contrary to what our culture says, you don't have to begin obedience and wait until your heart feels like it. You don't have to wait for your feelings to fall in line first before you obey biblical commands. In fact, we're called to obey and then to obey with our heart. But sometimes there's a lag. Sometimes there's a delay. And sometimes we're called to do the right thing regardless of how we feel. With that said, like any biblical discipline, you will not be able to continue in this discipline long term. You will either continue in it and your heart will start to increasingly grow in love. I'm going to show you the connection between hospitality, fellowship, and love. Your heart will increase in love to your brothers and sisters in Christ and the poor and those that you need to be reaching outside of the, the body of Christ. Or the practice of hospitality will cease. Like John Bunyan said about prayer... Prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. There is, you will not be able to continue in a heartfelt, pouring yourself out prayer life and continue in sin long term. Sin, the, 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 the discipline of prayer will push sin out, or sin will crowd out prayer life, your prayer life, and your prayer life will decrease and decrease and become more nominal until it becomes just a show as sin increases. So this discipline will either, you will begin to abound more and more in love towards brothers and sisters in Christ, towards other people that need help, and to, towards those that you are practicing hospitality towards, or the practice of hospitality will start to decrease and decrease and eventually dry up. So I want to set the stage for the practice of hospitality and just the nature of the culture in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and this will have to be brief. But in the Middle East, even to this day, the culture is geared around hospitality. And as much as we, we have our perceptions of Arabs and, and uh, Muslims, and of course, this practice of hospitality existed long before Muhammad came along and, and they became Muslims. But even today in the Middle East, one of the things that they are known for, even in some of the countries we would think of as being very hostile, is that they practice radical hospitality. So if you go into a Bedouin camp or you, you, you need water in the desert, um, there is story after story and, and case after case where that culture will bring you in and will, will want, you know, treat you with the finest and is going to lay out their best and going to serve, on you hand and, serve you hand and feet, really regardless oftentimes of who you are, to the point that in some of these cultures and countries you have to be really careful as a traveler and, and kind of think through this because... In some of these very poor cultures, like in the Caucasus or um, Central Asia, where the families are starving, they will actually butcher their last chicken to, to feed you, to make a feast for you, rather than preserve their last chicken. So, 
you see that practiced in the Old Testament. You see the emphasis on hospitality with the patriarchs, with Abraham, and with in, in throughout the Old Testament. So I'm not going to belabor that point. Um, you see the emphasis on mirth and feasting and fellowship in that God himself in the Old Testament, and of course these are no longer binding on us today, but the principle holds true, set forward four major feasts a year. And these were feasts that, given the geographic location of the small country of Israel, where everybody was called four times a year to spend their tithe money on feasting and celebrating and fellowship in Jerusalem. So they would travel four times a year to the city of Jerusalem and feast and fellowship together. This is in addition to all the commands for hospitality, regardless the fact that after the exile, they would weekly get together for the synagogue. Um, but there was these four feasts a year, so there's this practice. And then in the New Testament, we see this model. This is, if we want to be apostolic, and that's in the proper sense, there's some caveats here, but we should, like the Reformers, seek to be apostolic in our faith and follow the example of the apostles. We see the life of the early church, and we see in Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, this is the origin of the means of grace, the three means of grace that we emphasize. And this is not to downplay in the least the Lord's table because the Lord's table, in a sense, is, sep- is distinct, I would argue, is distinct from, from just your regular feasting. It is very special, but it also does represent communion, fellowship in the body of Christ. It is pregnant with meaning that points to all the other fellowship and feasting and interactions and communion within the body of Christ. And the fact that we are a redeemed people called out of darkness into light and called as brothers and sisters to the household of God. So that they were breaking bread regularly. That doesn't necessarily just mean taking the Lord's table, but they were, they were, they were gathering together to hear teaching and Fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Um, so we are no longer individuals lost in sin. Now keep the backdrop in mind that the fall has affected humanity. So prior to the fall, Adam and Eve would have experienced perfect harmony. Their sons and descendants would have experienced perfect harmony. There would have been no conflict, no fighting. There would have been joy and fellowship amongst them. But with the coming of the fall, all of that started to unravel. Now, by God's grace, he still retains, even in pagan nations, some element of community. But man against man, husband against wife, brother against brother, as we see in the early chapters of Genesis. And we see with the Tower of Babel, the spreading of language and division of humanity and the breaking down of community and fellowship. And that's fallen man's tendency is more and more, the more he rebels against God, the more isolated and island-like he becomes away from other individuals and uh, becomes lost in his own sin, unsympathetic, unfeeling towards others. He violates the, the command to love the Lord as God with all his heart, but he also violates the command to love his neighbor as himself. Um. So we are no longer individuals lost in sin, but meshed together in the unity of the body of Christ, the household of God, the brotherhood of Christ. And this table points to all the other feasts, all the other, and it points forward to the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And I would submit to you, if we do not love feasting, 
we will really, we, we should question our looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what we are going to, this is where we're going, is an eternal feasting, an eternal fellowshipping, an eternal time together in Christ and celebration with Christ. Um, and we are to prepare our hearts for that great day together and enjoy the reality because as messed up as it is, and that's why there's all the apostolic injunctions, the one another commands to love each other, to, to draw close to each other, we are called, even in this, this sinful world, now as redeemed sinners, to be restored to communion in the body of Christ. In Acts 2.46... We're told, and, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being uh, saved. So I would be careful that we don't think this is every single day has to be together. Unique circumstances in early church, but you see this was the pattern of their life, that they were actually meeting daily in, in the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. Um, and receiving their food together with glad and generous hearts. Acts 27 gives us a little snapshot. Now this is, again, an exceptional snapshot in that Paul was coming and visiting, but it gives you a taste of the type of fellowship that they were at least willing to, to engage in. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So here Paul is talking with them, and he... He ends up talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, so again, they're together. They're, Paul's talking until midnight. Eutychus, a young man, is sitting in the window. He falls asleep. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So he falls out the window, falls three stories. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in, it, is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with him a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So that's a snapshot, not of the normal gathering of saints in the, in the New Testament, but of an example of what they, what they were willing to do when it came to Paul traveling through and the type of fellowship that they enjoyed. Um, on the teaching of hospitality, we have Old Testament precedent. Now we have examples of the patriarchs, which I'm not going to go into in detail, but Isaiah 58, 6. The prophet says, Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? So basically, Isaiah has said, here you are fasting, you're going through all these motions, but let me tell you, this is the fast that I would like to see. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So here they were doing the fasting, they were going through the observance, but they were not sharing their bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into their house and when they saw someone naked to cover him. And I will, I will tell you that that passage and these commands is a difficult one to know because our tendency in America as Christians today is to think of, you know, first thing we think of is safety, which is not a bad thought to think of. Uh, we think of um, 
care for a family. And I think those are good considerations, and we must think through those things. But sometimes we err on the side of being overly stringent, overly quick to say no to helping in situations where somebody may not be the type of person we would normally want to have in our house. We have to be careful that we're not too quick to say no and just to carefully think through the situations. I remember as a, as a kid, um, I just remember it really hitting home. Mom and dad, there was this guy walking along the road on his hands and he had no feet, no legs. And um, I remember mom and dad stopped and brought him in and he slept on a dog bed in the, that's what we had was a clean dog bed. And, um, but he had definite health issues. Like there was some, some issues with that, but they took him in, we fed him. And I don't even know if they were Christians at this point, but I remember that just making a huge impact in thinking, I don't know, just being moved by that type of compassion on somebody else. Um, so we need to be careful. We're not too quick to dismiss situations where we can help and we can, you know, uh, equip somebody, help give them a meal, give them a, a, roo- a roof over their head if, if possible, if it can be done appropriately. This, com- these commands, and I'm going to go through a number of commands to hospitality, and they're clear. I'm not going to cover all the commands, but I'm going to cover a lot of commands to hospitality and to fellowship. But it's so basic to our, lo- our walk. So we have in Colossians 3.14, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And above all these, put on love. Oops, I'm sorry. I went to the wrong quote. Let's start over. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. So notice the emphasis on love, loving one another with brotherly affection. Hearty brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is a, this is a, this is a command. Hospitality is a command that you will find throughout the pages of Scripture. It's so central that it's actually a qualification for office, not just for, um, I don't know that we could call it office, but also for when it comes to those that would be supported by the church and provided for as far as widows go, it's also a, a qualification for that position. So Titus 1.7, for an overseer or a bishop, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So the very office of bishop, elder, pastor, and I think it's also carried over into deacons as well, one of the basic qualifications is to be given to hospitality. And then for widows that would be supported in their, their role as a widow, helping others. First uh, Timothy 5.9, let a wi- widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So here again is an example of how basic this requirement of hospitality is in the life of a believer, that it's required for the support of a a qualified widow. And this, this hospitality should flow and must 
at some point begin to flow out of a heart of hospitality. And that's why we see it coupled so often with commands to cultivate love for one another. When you love someone, so if I love my wife and I say, I love you, but I always spend time, I'm just going to be silly here, with Eli hunting or fishing or something, or Preston. If I'm always spending my time with the guys, I say, I love, I love you, honey, but I never spend time with her. I never go out of my way to spend time with her. I'm never driven to spend time with her. It's like, yeah, I love you, but bye. What kind of love can we, can we say that love is love when it has no desire to be with the other person? And so there is a cultivation of the heart of the desire for brotherly love, hospitality, fellowship as well. Um, love wants to be with the other person. Of course, marriage is the extreme example, but other, other examples want to, you know, if I, if I say, man, um, I love being your friend, you know, Duke, I love being your friend, but I don't want to spend any time with you. That's not much of a, a, a love. There's, there's nothing there at some point. Um, and he said, and, and Christ exhibits this. Look at Christ. Now, look at the stuff that Christ had to go through with his disciples. I mean, they were childish at points. And Christ had to repudiate them and, and even called, said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He had put up with a lot of junk, a lot of crap from his disciples. But look at his heart. This is his heart towards his disciples right before he goes to his death. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So this is setting the stage for the, the, the Lord's, the first Lord's Supper that we, that pointed forward to his death. And now we look back at his death and it's tied in with this Lord's Supper. Christ earnestly desired to eat this Passover. And you miss some of the richness when you're just going through the English. It's there, but it's just not as strong as it should be. So in the Greek, it's epithumia, epithumesa. So it's actually the repetition of two very similar words, epithumia, epithumesa. The first word, look look at how strong these words are. This is Christ's desire to eat with his disciples, to fellowship with them, to be with them. It says desire, passionate longing, eagerness for, inordinate desire, lust. This is how this word is translated, is even to the point of lust or inordinate desire. Of course, it's not talking about anything weird there, but just that strong, passionate longing for. And then the second word, epithumia, uh, epithumesa, epithumesa is I long for, covet, lust after, set set my heart upon. So Christ says, I desire, passionately long, have eagerness for, inordinate desire. The word is sometimes even translated as lust. And then he couples that with the word that says, I long for, covet, lust after, set, set my heart upon. That's the the desire that Christ had to be with his disciples, the fellowship at that last supper where we're given the example, the initial example of the Lord's table. So Christ shows us this longing out of his heart to be with his disciples. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep, this is, okay, so whenever you see above all in scripture, probably a good time to stop Go, okay? He's saying this is above everything else. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Don't just, it's not just keep loving one another. It's keep loving one another 
earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Where there's a lack of love, people will separate and um, split ways over the, the silliest things. They'll find fault with each other. They'll start bitterness in their heart. But above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Will there be a multitude of sins in our marriages between brothers and sisters, between children and parents, extended family, grandparents, the the household of God? Yes, there will be a multitude of, of sins. And it's not that we don't deal with those sins, but we're told that above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality. Now, notice the coupling here. Love, earnestly, it will cover a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So, again, from the heart. We can show hospitality. I can do it because Lord wants to have people over. And I can grumble that, oh, I just have... I, how, am I, how are we going to have people over Tuesday night? How are we going to do that? I, I haven't finished my work. I, I have stuff to do. I've got to prepare for my sermon whatever the case is, but we're called to do it without, to to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is a biblical command again. It's It's one that's so repetitive throughout the pages of scripture. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So this is talking about that involvement in each other's lives. You have to have these relationships in order to benefit each other with these gifts. As good stewards of God's very grace, Whoever speaks is one who speaks, oracle, the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. You'll see this, this coupling over and over again. Love, hospitality. Love, hospitality. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So we're told in scripture, and we have examples in the Old Testament of people who practiced heartfelt hospitality, and in the process they actually entertained, had the honor of entertaining angels in their own homes and in their own tents. And we can and we're we're told that as if in a way that we that the very well thing that very thing might happen, who knows? Regardless. Some have had the honor of entertaining angels because of their practicing hospitality. Now I want to underscore the essential nature of that brotherly love that underscores, I've shown you, underscores hospitality, that desire, that longing. John 13, 34, and this is such a repetitive command as well. A new commandment I have given to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. So we saw the example of Christ's love. That was just one little taste of the love of Christ towards his disciples, towards other people. He says, um, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another by this. To be affected, to be, to enjoy the presence of, the company of, to desire to be with. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for another. What is the one thing that demonstrates to the world that we are the disciples of Christ? It's our love for each other. We should be known for our brotherly love. We should be known for the fact that we can overlook, we can deal with sin, but we can also, our love causes us to be able to live together as human beings in the process of sanctification with all our faults and pitfalls. We still love each other like Christ with his disciples. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for, for one another. 
John, 1 John 2.8, whoever says he is in the light, so I say, I'm in the light, I'm a Christian, and hates his brother, is still in darkness. Now, what's the flip side of hate? Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So being in the light is loving our brother. Being in darkness is hating our brother. And there's, we're, we're called to be in the light, not in darkness. By this, it is evident who are the children of God. So it's very, it's demonstrated. This is 1 John 3.11. And who are the children of the devil? So this is the mark of the children of God versus the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is a central message that Christ came so that we would love one another earnestly, without grumbling. Colossians 3.14. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So there, the, the, we will never reach a per, purely perfectly sanctified state on this earth as human beings. We will never be around perfectly sanctified people. Every single human being, no matter how holy or new or how far they've come in the faith, will have pitfalls, will have sins in their life, will have issues, We'll have things that irritate. But above all, again, that language, this is a different epistle. This is Colossians this time. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So he's saying that even in this messed up, sin-drenched world with people that are in the process of sanctification, we can have a, a degree at least of perfect harmony because of love. And I would submit to you that hospitality practice of hospitality and fellowship is a litmus test of biblical love. There is the example of Christ. There is the example of the patriarchs. And there's this call to hospitality as a demonstration of love, both to believers and unbelievers, to brothers and sisters in Christ and those who are not saved. So again, we live in a culture who says, if you don't feel something, don't fake it. If you don't feel something, if you feel something, great, that's who you are. But if you don't feel something, then, then that's just not you. But the Bible calls us to higher standards. The Bible calls us to sometimes do things that we don't feel. In the hope, in the prayer, in the effort that the feeling would follow. And so we conform our desires to our will, which is our will is exercised on the word of God. Our desires are to follow. Set your eyes to follow the commands of Christ. And we are to seek to conform our desires to his will. Um, now, this practice to hospitality and to fellowship, I didn't cover all the commands to uh, practice hospitality or fellowship. They're, they're repetitive. But is also to those that are outside the church as well. So Leviticus 19.33 tells us this in a very straightforward fashion. When a stranger sojourns with you, so you have a foreigner living in your land, you shall do him no wrong. So okay, I'm good if I just leave them alone and I don't interact with them and I don't have to do anything with this weirdo, you know, from some other ethnicity. No. It says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the person, now we can have debates all day long about borders and, and who should come through borders and, and 
um, should, should these people or that people be brought into this country. But once they're here, we as Christians, we need to be careful. And conservatives, we get in this mindset because if you listen to conservative radio, you can easily get into this mindset of almost hating on those who are in this country. We tend to, dis to treat them with disdain because we don't like the fact that they're here. But the Bible commands us when they're here, you're to, to love them as yourself. When they're here, I'm not the one who's making policy decisions on borders. And we can have that discussion. But I'm called and commanded to those who live in this, within this, this country that I live in. God's law calls me to treat the stranger as if he's a native among, me, among us. To love him as myself. And to remember that we, I was once an alien. I was once a foreigner. I was once outside the walls of the heavenly Jerusalem. And now I'm, I'm, I'm brought in by, by Christ. And so can this individual or this family that I'm interacting with. So we should be known for reaching out hospi hospitality, whether or not, again, some of these political leanings are to say that they shouldn't be here in the first place or they should. That's irrelevant. Once they're here, invite them in, uh, develop a relationship, develop a friendship, love them. Um, Christ's commands here are clear. We have explicit commands to love the brothers and the sisters, but we also have explicit commands to love those who are not uh, of our, our family or our spiritual family. Christ said, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Now keep in mind the context of this is that he condemns them for wanting the chief seats at the feasts and wanting to be chief and most. So he's saying, don't, don't invite these people to please you or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. So they were inviting people into their home Knowing that they'd be invited, they would get a chief seat someplace else if they invited somebody in to be the chief at their feast. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the, the resurrection of the just. So look forward to the, ju the judgment that is to come and invite the people that society says, I don't want to be with. The people that, says, that society says are ugly, are uh, disfigured, are have medical conditions that are even a pain to host in your house because um, maybe you have an issue like that I mentioned earlier where because he didn't have normal anatomy, there was uh, urine issues and stuff like that. Be willing to do that. Be willing to go out of your way to show love because if you think about it, spiritually speaking, that's who we are I'm, I'm nothing special. You're nothing special. And we, we were brought in not because we were the best or we could repay, but because we were the blind, the crippled, the lame. We needed help. Uh, so we need to make time for those without, as, as well as patterning the practice of the early church with its love for uh, the breaking of bread and fellowship. Um, we should pattern that with unbelievers as well. And, of course, Christ set the precedent as well when he dined with publicans and sinners. So I want to handle a couple objections before I kind of get to the end. Um, objections come to our mind. I've had all these at one, one point or another in, in mind, and I've struggled with them at points. Um, I don't have the money. There's been points where just to get, just to bring something to my own party was a stretch financially. I've had years like that, not just a year, but like years on end like that, where off and on there was, it was difficult to show hospitality. 
And when you don't have the financial resources, it can be easy to not practice hospitality because you, you run into a situation where you have zero dollars in your bank account and, um, or very little in your bank account, and it's a struggle to actually practice hospitality. I would just encourage you, I know it's easy to say, but it's also hard to say, and I've, this is not just something I've, I'm saying to you, I've been there, but God does, God has a way of providing when we put his kingdom first, and when we, we put ourselves out there, we don't have to provide a feast of uh, exquisite delicacies with gold foil over top. Beans are, people are appreciative to come over and have beans and rice. And so whatever you can do, do. Um, but know that God does bless earnest, heartfelt obedience to his commands. Um, oftentimes the concern or the issue, and some people end up not inviting and having practicing hospitality because of space issues. And there's something to be said that if you have a small space, your home is small, um, you're probably not going to have a huge get-together. That's fine. This biblical hospitality is practiced with an individual here or family there or whatever the case is. So don't think you have to go all out. This is just an ongoing, it needs to be doable. But I've been there as well. I mean, I remember just being so embarrassed. It was a blessing. And I'm not, my, my parents are here, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not downplaying at all. But living in their basement, unfinished basement, with Lauren, with insulation and stuff like that, and it was roof overhead. It worked great for us. But I remember thinking, man, I just can't have people over here because I'm embarrassed. And then we lived in an unfinished house for years. And I remember thinking, I remember just being really embarrassed about the outside of the house being unfinished and the house being very unfinished and um, the issues with the house. Um, but I would just encourage you to do what you can and to practice hospitality and to realize people are less, people aren't coming to judge your house. People aren't coming to um, nitpick how clean the house, I mean, yes, women, it's great to, and men too, you can help with, with this. It's great to, uh, Keep the house. It's it's wonderful to be in the practice of hospitality so that the house is within a, a range. You can get it clean. But if you have a large family in a small house like we had, it's hard to keep the house up. Err on the side of practicing hospitality. Err on the side of even if things are a little bit of a mess or a mess from uh, the day before or the morning before and last minute there's a chance to host somebody. Err on the side of in inviting somebody out or, or people from church out or whatever the case is. Err on the side of hospitality. People are not coming into your house and it's their own fault if they're coming into your house and they're picking your house because of how finished, unfinished, you know, perfectly kept up, all those kind of things that as much as we can strive to present cleanliness is a good thing, but it's better to err on the side of hospitality. Um, I don't have the time and that's when I... That's when I struggle with sometimes with real estate where it's like, oh, this week I could do something, but not, not this week. I'm going to do it next week when I'm caught up. Next, you know, I'll do it the following week after I'm, when things are less busy. And I could very easily keep on going. And I've done this at times where I've been like, yeah, we'll get into hospitality, you know, down the road at this point. And that's probably, I mean, there are, there might be a short season. I'm not saying that's not allowable, but generally speaking, keep the practice of hospitality going and fellowship going. Um, even if it may not seem like you have the time, even, I mean, those, the, the, the people when Paul, when they hosted Paul, and of course that was exceptional because Paul was 
They, they really looked up to Paul, and he was talking and going until late, but they went till the crack of dawn. They had to get up. They had to go to work. Um, so sometimes it's okay to get a little less sleep. Sometimes it's okay to uh, do it when we don't feel like we have the time in our schedule. Practice hospitality. This is a biblical command. There's no, there's no command as far as how often, but it, let's, let's talk to our spouse. Let's talk to our husbands and wives and come up with what's, what's feasible. What can we do? How often can we practice this on a regular basis? Um, there are downsides. And when you have people over to your family, especially if it's people you don't know, um, different people have different standards as far as taking care of things. I've seen people stop practicing hospitality because, um, and I'm not saying to not block off portions of your home or to, um, I mean, you can use some, some wisdom here. I'm not saying have your fine, finest china out and invite, you know, destruction. But be geared towards hospitality and also realize that if one of your kid's toys gets broken because there's some rough play, I'm not saying we never potentially address some of those things or whatever, but just be hospitable. Realize that it's not yours to begin with, it's God's. Don't, let's not worship our stuff to the point that we're not willing to practice hospitality and to um, have people over because it could go wrong or something could happen or somebody, you know, whatever the case is. There's a lot of reasons, excuses why we can, we can keep from the practice of hospitality. And generally speaking, I'm calling you, to, you and I think scripture calls you to reorient your life around hospitality rather than trying to fit hospitality around your life. So... Orient your life around hospitality rather than trying to fit hospitality in the sections that tend to never come up around your life. Let me read this, um, this from Christ. Matthew 25, 31 to end. Matthew 25, 31. Also, if you have questions, if you're, if you're a mom or if you're a gal that has questions, find gals that practice hospitality. Pick their brains. Ask questions. I'm sure they'd be willing to, to share what that looks like or ask the families what, what, you know, what does this look like? How do we practice hospitality? Here's some concerns. Um, Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. 
Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer to them, them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We're not saved by our obedience or practice of hospitality. But one of the marks, as we saw in, in both the Gospel of John and the, the uh, epistles of John, one of the marks of saving faith is a love for the, brother, the brethren and a love for the stranger. Um, so we need to examine ourselves, use the means of the Word of God. I'm not questioning anybody's faith, but, and we should all be questioning ourselves in a sense, but to use the means of the Word of God to see that this, the second command to, to loving God with all our heart is loving our, our is likewise to it loving our neighbor as ourself and th- that manifests itself in a heart towards others both in the body and without and one last practical piece of advice we need to be careful that we both practice hospitality fellowship within the church but we don't allow that to crowd out interactions with neighbors with people we meet with those that are sick the, the people that we can bring in or bring a meal to or show hospitality to let's pray Lord, just thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that we're saved by grace through faith and that that gives us a heart of love to uh, our brothers and sisters and to the lost. And I pray that that would uh, more and more, we're all guilty and fall short, but that that would more and more manifest itself in a desire to meet their needs, to to minister to them, to be encouraged by them, and to to be with them and show hospitality and, and breaking the bread. Um, so just give us a heart to be with both the saved and the lost, a special love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, desire to be with them, and a, and a special desire that others would come into your family. And I pray that through hospitality, we're not always coming in, with just using it as a, as a uh, decoy to pitch the gospel, shove it down their throat, even though we, do, we want to be bold in those situations. But I pray that through genuine love, and meeting of needs and spending time that your word would be proclaimed and we would proclaim your gospel and that there would be many that would turn to saving faith and your church would grow and that you'd bring revival and reformation um, through through the means that you've given us of, of uh, love to other people. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.